Have you wondered about living elsewhere in your retirement? Well, we have almost daily. No, it's not a simple decision, especially when two people are involved. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about retirement destinations. We live in Brooklyn, New York, having grown up and worked in this area of the country. We're hoping to relocate when we're both retired. For us, it's the weather, the chaos, the noise, and the yearning to be near nature and not within three feet of human beings. <laughs> That's right. In February 2020, we embarked on our journey to find that special place. We spent a week in Winter Park, Florida, which is beautiful, but something said it wasn't for us. As we were planning for the next trip, the pandemic arrived. Jean then gave birth. I gave birth? To this podcast. With so many baby boomers retiring, many must be relocating. Why not connect with and learn from them? Here's a little background about us. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney turned podcaster. I recently retired from a university career practicing higher education law. I love the academic environment, but it was time to do something else. I no longer have to set an alarm, drive in BQE traffic, or work with people who don't always share the same principles. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> you bet I did. I traded all that in to binge crime dramas into the wee hours just a little bit to develop the podcast, to volunteer, practice metalsmithing, tackle our possessions. No regrets so far, Jane. I'm not Asian, and as Gil mentioned, I'm not retired. I'm just plain tired. Oh. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I'm a law librarian working in a court who loves his job, but we're retired by the time we select our ideal location. We will be speaking to folks from across the street to across the globe who have moved to their dream venues and more. So please stay tuned. And remember, if you know anyone who has moved anywhere for retirement, let us know. Thank you. All right. How's it going? That's one of 20 ways to say hello in Britain. Today, we have a very special episode. We'll be meeting with Jude Tisdall about living in a co-housing community known as Newground, located in Barnet, a section of North London, but many of you may know it as Chipping Barnet or High Barnet. Just to cover it all, we want to make sure you know. The community, which opened in 2016, is shared and managed by 26 women aged 50 on up. As noted in an August 24, 2023 Guardian article, the women have brothers, sons, and lovers, but they cannot live there. That article caused quite a stir, and the women were inundated with media requests, including inquiries from BBC Radio 4, BBC's The One Show, overseas filmmakers, and various magazines. We are fortunate to have Jude on our show today. So, Chipping Barnett, or High Barnett, Lord Barnett is a suburban market town in North London, forming part of the London Borough of Barnett, England. It is located about 13 miles or a 55-minute drive to central London. For entertainment, Barnett Barnett. Is it Barnett? Barnett. Oh, no, I've been then, saying it wrong. You know, in, in the UK, we have this thing uh, in London, the Cockney thing. I'm not, I'm not from London. I'm Irish, as you can tell. But Barnett, it's a kind of Cockney slang for hair. Your barnet, I, oh. I don't know where it came from. So it's like bar and a net, so it's barnet. Okay. So we're going to leave that part in. Normally we would cut that out, but Gillen has been mispronouncing the city this whole time. 
For entertainment, the city has a fifth-tier football club, a cinema, the Barnett Museum, an art center, parks, and numerous restaurants. Jean? Jude was born and raised in Dublin, Ireland, and moved to London over 50 years ago. Her career was primarily in education. She was deputy principal of one of the main theatre schools in the UK. Although mostly retired, she still works with graduates from theatre training programs, mentoring them as they bridge the gap from professional training to finding work in performing arts. She is also an ambassador for the Steve Sinnott Foundation, an educational charity, and she collaborates with the Traveller Movement, a UK-based charity advocating for the Gypsy, Roma, and Traveller GRT community addressing discrimination and producing a film on domestic violence within the traveler community. Jude's interests are promoting awareness of co-housing and lobbying for support to enable more people to be able to start their own intentional communities. Also travel, theater, film, spending time with family and friends, good conversation, and she is also involved with an inclusive theater company called Chicken Shed. Jude has had an amazing life thus far, and get this, Gil, she was featured in an issue of British Vogue. So cool. <laughs> that is a little piece of information she left out of her bio, by the way. Hey, Jude. I'm sorry, but I couldn't resist. Welcome to Retire There. Please start off by explaining what a co-housing community is. Hello, everybody. Hello, you too. A co-housing community is, as I think you've said, an intentional community. It's a community where people get together and either they look for land to build on or they refurbish an old house or, or things. I think we've all had these conversations, especially as we get a little bit older. We sit around with our friends and uh, I say, how do we want to live when we get older? We've all had those conversations conversations after a good meal and too much wine, maybe. How are we going to live? And everybody, you hear people saying, oh, let's all live together. Let's buy a big house and be happy. And I suppose somewhere that's the kind of the start of thinking about co-housing. But co-housing has been in the UK now for, for a number of years, but it started in, in Denmark. It's um it's a Scandinavian thing. Um, it started in Denmark back in the 60s, 70s, the idea of co-housing, where people choose to live together, not to live together in one space. For example, most co-housing, everybody has their own space, their own flat or house, and then they share communal areas. And they have responsibility for the management and the sustainability of the development of their whatever their thing is. If it's if it's a group of housing, it might be houses on one street that people have come together to buy. For us here in Barnet, in Chipping Barnet, in High Barnet, uh, <laughs> and, and 50, I'm smiling when you say 55 minutes in a car into London. London roads are a nightmare. I mean, you could be stuck outside our house for 55 minutes. <laughs> wow. It's a nightmare. I'm exaggerating. But yes, it is. It's about 45 minutes on the tube stre- tube train, which is just down the road. But we here in our new ground started this process about 18 years ago when a group of women, like I just explained, sat around thinking how they wanted to live. Some were married or divorced or widowed. And they thought, how do we live as we age? They didn't want to live in some kind of care thing or kind of a residential space. They wanted to be responsible for how they live. They wanted to have ownership of how they live. And that's how our group started off. Over the years as people tried to find a site, looked for funding, architects, all the things that involved. Over 200 women dropped by the wayside. You know, you're getting older, you can't wait forever. We kept recruiting new groups and eventually 26 people moved in here seven years ago. But co-housing, the original question you asked me, is 
a sharing of communal facilities and having your own private place. And one of the things I think most co-housing will say to you, uh, perhaps, is finding the balance. You have to learn to find the balance between privacy and community. We here all came from different lives. To get here, we're, we're 26 probably quite strong, some bolshy women to make it this far, to be able to do this against all the odds. So we had to learn to live together or in the same space. And the good thing about here is we, as a group, we felt that the ethos and what we wanted was far more important than having to fight for a little bits and pieces. I always say when you're in a relationship, the first year of a relationship, when you move in with somebody, you learn about somebody. You learn an awful lot in that first year. Mm-hmm. And all the things you've been hoping for, some of them happen and then you you adapt to each other. Well, when we moved in here seven years ago, it was like adapting and living with 26 other people. Oh my Lord. <laughs> it, it was wonderful, but my God, it was nerve wracking as well. I always consider that I'm a tolerant woman. My kids might say something completely different to you if they were here, <laughs> but I've always considered myself very tolerant. I realized I had a lot to learn about tolerance, you oh, know, when yes. I moved here. Sure, sure. So off the bat, if there's someone who does want privacy, privacy, I'd love that. Would, would they be an applicant, you think? Would they be what, sorry? Would they be an applicant? Would they be someone that would think oh, yeah. of this? I think, I mean, when I say privacy, I mean, of course, everybody needs to engage. It takes a lot of time to keep something. I mean, we are a development of 25 apartments and we're very, very fortunate to be in London or on the outskirts of London and have wonderful gardens and we have an orchard and we have, we, so we grow vegetables and we have fruit and we have quite a big uh, development. It takes a lot to keep that going. So if you're going to live here, and it's not for everybody, but if you are going to live here, you do make a commitment to being responsible and being part of keeping it all together. But we have individual flats. We have one, two or three bedroom flats. Every apartment, uh, their own front door, their utilities are separate to others. My apartment is a two bedroom ground floor apartment. I have a terrace that's private to me. And then we have communal gardens and the orchard. We have a communal meeting space. But when I'm at home, I'm at home. You know, we've all got lives. We've got families. Some women still work. I always think just because you retire doesn't mean you don't work anymore. It just means you work You work for no money anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us about it. So let I me don't... ask you, there are these communities abound in the U.S. I'm sure they exist where you are as well, known as 50 plus community. How would you say co-housing differs from that? There are lots of 50 plus communities in the U.K. too. And they're usually built for the purpose of 50 pluses moving in and you buy an apartment in that place or you buy a plot and build or, or whatever the setup is. So it's owned by somebody else and you buy into it. I think the important thing when I talk to, um, because we do a lot of lobbying to government to encourage this kind of living, not just for 50 pluses, but for intergenerational communities. Yeah. I think the important thing about a community, a co-housing community, is the people know each other before they actually get into the place. I mean, wow. we knew each other for a long time. And I always think that the social architecture of the group is equally important to the physical architecture. So we knew each other. Some people decided it wasn't for them along the way, or they were getting older, didn't want to wait till it happened. But we all, you know, you're getting old, you want to, you know, make sure that you have your, your life sorted out. But I think getting to know each other, so use that time to create policies about how you want to live. And it took time for us to find some land, to find the right architects. We found a brilliant group 
group of architects who worked with us. Of course, we're not architects, but they listened to what we wanted. You know, we wanted space. We wanted to find a, a piece of land that wasn't too far from a tube, like a tube line into town. Mm-hmm. As I already explained, it's a nightmare driving around London. Most people take public transport if you're going into the centre of London okay. because of the cost as well. You have to pay to go into central London to park the car, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we wanted when we were looking for a site was that it was close to public transport. It was close to good facilities. You mentioned earlier, Gil, the library or the, the cinema. There's a cinema not far. There's some theatres. There's lots of restaurants. There's good shopping. We're beside a very nice high street. So all that was important to us. And then we had to find the architects that were going to help us when we found the site to create the dream here. And they were fantastic. And they listened. They'd run workshops with us and we'd make these wonderful plans of everything we wanted. They start off saying, what do you need? And we said, "We, you know, you kind of get carried away with what you want. And then you come back to thinking, well, how much money have we got? How much is going to happen here? You know, how sure. many flats can we fit in? And they were very good with us, but they listened to the things that were really important to us. And they created that for us. So I think in answer to your question, the important things about co-housing is that people know each other. They have a shared life wants and stuff. They, mm-hmm. they, they know mm-hmm. they want to live in a certain way. We are here in our community. One of our big things is being sustainable around climate and green issues. For example, we had a meeting this morning, all of us, because we have just, we've had the whole lawn dug up recently. It's a huge lawn. And we had two huge tanks sunk to harvest water for the garden. Oh, great. Okay. I know. Okay. So we can now, we now can harvest all of the rainwater and we will have a clover lawn laid over that oh, in the sowing season. Nice. So we don't have to also then have to use electricity to mow the lawn or anything like that. And we have some solar panels, but we're in the process of just expanding the amount of solar panels we have so that all our communal areas are serviced by those solar panels. We have a bank of batteries here to service that. And we're trying to make the orchard garden more eco-friendly, also user-friendly, because we are a group with older people here. And so we have now got some raised beds. So and we have different sized beds in the orchard garden so people can plant vegetables. As you get older, you can't be that, you know, it's hard to get on your hands and knees. (laughs) That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So we've taken all those things in. And I again, if you're moving into a place that already designed by somebody else because it may be, you know, it may be for profit because of course building is for profit and you move in, you don't have the same ownership. We've got ownership of the service charges of what we do here. We've got complete ownership of our space and that's very, very liberating. It is. Absolutely. And so each woman owns their own flat. Is that how it works? Yeah, I have my, well, the, the other thing that's unique about our development is there's 25 apartments, 26 women, two women live, live in one apartment. Mm-hmm. There's 25 apartments here and eight of them are for social rent. It means that, you know, it's the rent that they're not owned. They were sold to a housing association. And the women who started this were determined that this wouldn't just be a place for women who could fortunately afford to buy into it. They wanted to make it available for women who might not be able to buy a place because I don't know if it's the same in the States. I know in Europe, women live longer. There's a, yeah. I think it's a seven, mm-hmm. eight year um, yes. thing. A lot of women, if they are divorced or widowed uh, in their 50s, men very often will marry again to a younger partner. Women, it's statistically known, women do not in the same way. And also women's pensions are smaller in the main than men because women drop out of maybe the workforce to to homemakers to look after children. So they don't have the same spending power. Not all, but quite a few. These are excellent points. They're excellent points. The women who started this wanted this to be available for women who might have fallen through the the grate, so to speak, the grating. And so we have eight social flats here. 
There's a lot of developments in the UK where there are shared tenure, or some will be bought, leasehold, or some will be rented. Tenanted is the kind of the kind of name put on it. But they always have the tenanted or the rented flat away from the main flat. So almost there's a saying here: you go in the back door if you're renting, and we do not do that. I, I know it's it's falling, but it's it, yeah. that is what that is great. You have those eight apartments for yeah. for lower income women. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. In our thing, you know, there's um, a, a writer and, and and women who might have been involved in the arts. You know, the arts, unless you're right up there, notoriously they aren't don't get a lot of money. You get freelance work, whether you're an actor or yeah, a writer yeah. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, because the women who started this were so that was one of the priorities. We will make this available to people who can afford it, the fortunate, and the people who might not be able to afford to buy in. But that's why it took longer to get planning permission for mixed tenure was a nightmare. But they stuck by it and they didn't let go of that. So we are one of the only, I think we're the only ones still for over 50s with mixed tenure. And people say, oh, well, why didn't you just sell all the flats? You had lots of people wanting to buy, but that was not the, the driving force. One of the main women who started this was an activist, a social activist. There was no way she was going to say, this is only for the people who can right. yeah. all that. Can you tell us, if you don't mind, what the what the cost would be if you if you could afford one? It hasn't really. We're just in the process of selling a flat, but I yeah. think, and we've been here seven years. But I think they probably cost anything between from a one bedroom right up to a three bedroom, anything from say three hundred and eighty thousand pound to five hundred thousand pound, maybe or four hundred, say three eighty to four eighty thousand pound. What's the size of that unit? One to three bedrooms, and it will vary because the one bedrooms there's a difference in them. You know, there are no first or second floor. They're different sizes. That's what's lovely. The building is uniform. The apartments are not. It's not like living in some kind of Lego development. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very beautiful. So I just wanted to mention to our audience that it's February tenth, twenty twenty four, and one British pound is equivalent to a dollar twenty six. So let's US. see and a yeah. quarter US dollars. And people can get mortgages. I mean, when we all moved in here, we could afford it because, I mean, we had to get forward funding to build the place because those people who were buying, most of them lived in family homes that they might be selling or they'd reached a point where they're mm-hmm. downsizing from their houses so they could help their, maybe put some money towards their kids who are trying to get in the mortgage ladder. So when we moved in here, everybody moved in without a mortgage. They had the equity from family homes to buy. Going forward, that not, might not be the case. And so we've been able to negotiate that people can get mortgages, dependent on those circumstances. But when you think this is for women of 50, an awful lot of women, most people of 50 are still working. The pension age has gone up here to 67 and it's going to go up more. You know, That's terrible, people, yeah. They say that over the next five or six years, it might well go up to 71. So yeah. people are working. I know, it's, it's, it's incredible. So people can get mortgages. The other thing, when you hit your 50s, if you've been buying for a while, I would imagine, you will have a huge deposit put down. You might just need a top-up mortgage, you know. And we've been able to speak with the eco mortgage company that has, will support people who need a mortgage because an awful lot of people in their early 50s will be still mid-mortgage plan. You know, they won't have completed a mortgage on the main property. So you quoted a price just now, and I know that the range is from one bedroom to three bedroom, but the one that's for sale, that's uh, 380 or so No, she didn't didn't say how much it was for sale. No, I didn't. I don't know what it's been sold for. Oh, oh, so the range, so that's the The range, range. uh, one or two or three bedroom size. Yeah. For those prices, is that similar to the prices in the area for a flat outside? 
It's just been tested for the first time at the moment selling. It's written into our agreement when one of us dies or decides to move. Mm-hmm. For example, my, my, my kids will inherit what I've got. And we've made agreements between ourselves and told our families that if I die tomorrow, my daughter's selling this, she has to get three valuations of what it is worth now and then go for the for the middle one. And then we have a group of women waiting to buy or rent here. We call them non-resident members and they get involved with us. So we know the next people who are going to move in here. Ah. Um, we have a group waiting. So in the same way we knew each other before we moved in, we know already the women who are waiting to move in. And we have a whole thing called a membership group, a membership team here who deal with inquiries. And if a woman wants to become a, a non-resident member is what we term it as, they get to know us over six months. They come to communal meals. They might help in the garden. And we buddy. So I'm buddying a woman at the moment. We call it buddying. So a woman who hopes to live here in the while I'm her buddy. So if she's got any questions about co-housing or she'll pop around to me for a cup of tea. She's a particular interest in the garden, this woman. So she comes and helps in the garden, which is oh. a huge task here. We have a wait. We don't call it a waiting list, but we do have a group. <laughs> you know, you, you're waiting forever. We've had to really work at this because we will only take 12 people at a time, six future rentals and six future buyers. So we've got a little group of 12. We have to be very careful. Sometimes they think, oh my God, we're like ambulance chasers here waiting for some of you. (laughs) And and what if you, if your children, you have a daughter, but what if you have two sons? They can't live there, right? My daughter can't either. No, my daughter couldn't. I mean, I mean, unless if my daughter, I mean, my daughter's nearly 50 now. So she always says, mom, I'm moving in there when you're gone. But she would have to apply for membership to the other women. She inherits it and she'll sell it. She'll inherit it. She just gets the money. Yeah, she she gets the dosh. (laughs) She will inherit my estate, whatever it is. And if, for example, she choose she would like to live here legally there's nothing to stop her if she's over 50 but she wouldn't do that because she knows the ethos of what we're doing here so she would go through the process of applying i'd imagine she'd get membership because of course you know everybody knows her we know each other's <laughs> one of the things you know we do know each other's family we've lived here for seven years so we see our kids coming in and out we see our grandkids coming to stay right, for right right after you get to know people and of course like in any neighborhood you know you know who your neighbors are I just wanted to clarify that for the audience that inheriting does not give you the right to just move in. You own the financial interest, but not the privilege. Okay, understood. How do they pick the women who are waiting? How do they decide who gets to wait? Somebody might get in touch with us. We've actually closed our waiting list at the moment because we won't take more than 12 at the time. Mm -hmm. But what we do when somebody is interested, they come along, we talk to them about co-housing, we explain what the commitment entails. And then we say, you've got to get to know everybody here. We've got to get to know you. So then they come along, as I said, maybe for a meal. We have communal meals every other week. So they come along for a meal, join us for a meal, come along to help the garden, come along. We have summer parties, we have different events and film evenings, and they will come along along and join in with that. So we will get to know them. And then when we know them you know, over six months, then they go forward for what we call non-resident membership. And then we agree between us and a person if this is something they want, if we think that person will fit in with the ethos of how we run this place, and then we offer them non 
resident membership. And that means they're on the waiting list. But then we have something else called friends of new ground. That is no guarantee you're going to end up getting an apartment here. But there's lots of people who are just interested in what we do. Younger people, maybe planners, architects, men and women who are interested and then will support us if we're trying to do something. So we've got 200 very good friends of new ground that we invite along to different things. Yeah. We're doing a film in a couple of weeks' time. It's one I worked on as well with a group of architects in Ireland, and they got some funding to create a project called Reimagining Elderhood, and not just about housing, but about how people live. And I mentored them on this. I love this. And we created this wonderful little film that was shot in Ireland and here, and it's been launched here the week after next. And we've got lots of our friends coming to look at that. And we've got the architects who built this building coming along to talk to the audience and the architects from Dublin. Um, now, will that so, be online? Yeah, it'll go online after it's launched. Oh, um, so, so you can, if you I'll could send share you a link. That. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we'll share it's that. It's a lovely film. It's a lovely film. And yeah. part of it is filmed at Newground? Yeah, quite a bit of it's at Newground. It's very beautifully shot. And what's wonderful about it is it's young people doing it, young people considering what elderhood might mean, not just for their parents, but for themselves. It was a competition in Ireland that Maria Brenton and myself sat on the panel, and it was open to young architectural practices to come up with ideas around living in community as one got older, whether it was creating music together or sharing uh, living spaces. And then three of these ideas won. And out of that, a film was made, and it was wonderfully funded by the Arts Council in Ireland, the Irish Arts Council. And that film is being launched here in a couple of weeks' time. And then it would go to film festivals in Ireland. So again, it's about sharing and giving people ideas of how they want to live when they're older, not just where they want to live, but how they want to live. And as I say, it was just wonderful to get so many younger people really being enthusiastic, saying, we've got to start thinking now about how we want to live when we're older. It's no use waiting until we're 60 and then all of a sudden say, oh, I haven't got the energy, you know, when you're younger. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. like the, the fire movement. You've heard of yeah. the fire movement. Yes. So no, I, I haven't have, actually. Oh, it's financial independence, retire early in the U.S. It's all over the world, really. Yeah. So people who have thought ahead don't want to work into their 60s or what have you. And they're funding their savings and everything necessary in order to leave the typical workforce early to start their lives. Right. But the things that they have to compromise at the beginning doesn't work for everyone. You know, they move in with family, they move in with friends so that they can save all that money. And mm. it can be tough, especially if you have children. Yeah. But yeah. I have two questions, and I guess maybe they're legal. You have 26 women who had been communicating about living in this communal or this ethos, and someone had to come together to memorialize all of the resulting policies, if you will, or rules and so forth. Did you guys draft that together and voted? Or, I mean, 26 opinions is quite, oh, I can't even imagine because two of us hardly agree on anything. So can you give us uh, just a brief explanation of how, so was it documented? Is it formalized? So whoever comes in has to abide by all of the above. The policies are there, but they're not they're not heavy policies. They would be the kind of policies you'd get in 
any kind of development where people live together around, you know, pets and noise. And we have policies around diversity and inclusion. And they were thrashed out over time. We got help from maybe other, from other um, housing, co-housing. We, we looked at other co-housing, how they ran themselves. And then we would discuss it and thrash it out together and then come to an agreement. It wasn't so difficult actually creating the policies in advance. It was harder living by them when we got here mm. <laughs> because it was all <laughs> academic. Oh, right. And because right. you have this wonderful idea and then, oh, yes, we'll do that, that. And then you get here and you have to live the experience. It's a bit like moving into the first year of a relationship. I really like the idea that you are going to do the laundry, but actually I've got ended up doing it. So, you know, get a grip here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Usual stuff. So we had to then, we started adapting them and adopting different kind of things. And then we decided, like lots of places, things have to be done by consensus. And we had some consensus training. So we brought in trainers for things. Wow. Right. And, um, They're both and marriage we... counselors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Conflict resolution. Yes. Um, yes. And then we realized that during everything by consensus, we would be dead and buried before we got anything done. Exactly. So, so we had to adapt that. And then for smaller things, we don't go by consensus. And then we decide consensus would be 80% of agreement. But somebody could block, for example, planning to dig up the whole lawn and sink the thing. Everybody's committed to uh, climate and green issues. But some people are uncomfortable about digging the lawn up. Understandably, it looks like the Somme out there at the moment because it's <laughs> been raining for three days. I think the whole place is going to float away. Again, it's, it's that learning that tolerance that you might not like everything, but it doesn't mean unless it really goes against the brain for you, you don't say no. You choose your battles like you do in a relationship. You choose what's important. And if somebody really is is against something, they can block it. But if they block it, they have to come up with a working alternative very quickly. Oh, it can't nice. go on forever. Very good. And if they don't come up with a working alternative very quickly, it goes ahead with the majority. Okay. Oh, nice. We learned that. We learned that very quickly because you get a bit like navel gazing if you if you go on and on about things. So we learned again, like you do in any relationship, that it's give and take and you choose what is very, very important to you. There's never been anything that has caused a complete conflict. We've never had to go to conflict resolution or anything like that. We're sensible women who've lived a life, who've had families, who've ha had jobs, who've worked, who still work, some of us. We know how to negotiate. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my second question is, we talked about the costs or approximate costs of a unit. So then we move to the shared costs, right? So what does that cover? And give us a range if you if you could. Sure. Well, running a building like this is expensive because there's lots of things you have to be compliant about. You know, it's, it's a building, although we own it, we have lifts, we, we have to have water checked, we have to have insurance, we have to have an annual big clean. We have, you know, somebody comes in, do the heavy stuff in the garden. We have to have the gutters cleaned. It's like anybody's yeah. home, you've got a lot to do. But we set our own service charges. So, for example, I'm on the uh, buildings team. And the buildings team will look every year at exactly what needs to be covered in terms of maintenance, in terms of compliancy. And we also look at having a sink fund, reserve fund. So if, if big things happen, if we have to have big repairs and also to make sure that this place is sustainable for the women who come after us. So into our service charges are all the charge, like for the communal areas, utilities, although lots of people have their own clothes washing machines, we do have a laundry. So all those shared areas have to be up, you know, the upkeep of them. We have a huge kitchen. We have storage areas. So we work out every year what it all costs 
And we have an agent who helps us to make sure that all those things are covered. We have to have inspection from fire brigade, all those things in any, almost like a public building, although we're yeah. not. Mm-hmm. Once you're over a certain amount of units in a development, you have to have all sure. these things. So we set the service charges every year and we don't do it by square footage. We do it by number of bedrooms, one, two or three bedrooms. So it's much easier that way. We all agree with that. And when we look at the cost, if you're living in a, you spoke earlier about something you buy into where there's a managing agent and there's somebody else managing everything. I think the charges, the service charges, I know in this country are huge for one of those kind mm-hmm. of complexes. Yes. And we keep ours to exactly what it costs to run it. In fact, we're having a meeting on Monday to set the service charges for the next financial year. So probably two thirds of the charges that we make go into the developed and running and approximately one third of the monies goes into the sink fund so that the roof blows off or right, covered by mm-hmm. insurance or or when the whole place needs painting or, or whatever. Yeah. As I said, just so that this is sustainable for the future. So the service charges on this particular building, which are, is not a lot. I, I talked to my brother in Canada and he thinks it's an awful lot, but I know it's not a lot for London, I can tell you. The service charges on a one bedroom flat are about a thousand pound a year. It's 1,100 for a two bedroom is 2,000 and a three bedroom is around 3,000. So it's very neat. Okay. And it doesn't cover your internal, you know, the utilities for my own flat, but it covers buildings insurance. It covers all the communal areas, all the compliancy, and it covers a sink fund. So it's it's very good. I was talking to somebody recently that live in a retirement co- complex and their service charges are about £6,000 a year. Yeah, I think the 3000 for a three-bedroom is very reasonable. I'm not rich, but I'll say it's very reasonable. Yeah. Because if you break that down to per month, it's 250 When we look at, especially in New York, my sister oh my goodness. In, uh, in a co-op, their prices are much higher. So I think that 250 is reasonable. Very reasonable. And that includes but the it's, same it's just the, it's just the cost because we don't have a managing agent charging 10% on top or we don't mm-hmm. have, if we contract somebody to do something, we work with the agent for advice that we just give a flat fee to every year. So we have ownership of who comes in, whether it's putting the tanks in, we have ownership, we go out to tender and stuff, we get the quotes in, we decide and we don't always go for the cheapest. So I have to say that we go for the best value, for the efficiency and the best value. Right. And every year, I mean, on Monday, we will sit down together, the people on the buildings team with our advisor, and we will work through every contract we have. And we will look at the last year and see, did we get value for money on the automatic gates of the car park? Did they turn up when they got stuck? Was there a good service on the lift? Were the windows cleaned properly? And we go through every single thing and then decide, will we give the contract to that person again? Mm-hmm. Mostly we have done. Yeah. And that's how we do it. And in our seven years here, the service charges, they've only gone up by inflation. They haven't gone up a lot. Oh, I think when, when I moved in, I know in seven years, and considering the increase in everything, because we're also conscious that everybody pays our service charges. Some people are on very low incomes if they're still working. And just because you own a flat, does you know, we're all on fixed incomes. We're on pensions. We're a mixed economy here. Some people are very, very comfortable and some people live on their pensions. Right. So we have to be very mindful not to let everything go out of control because that can affect people's spending. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And, and, and because we know everything, everybody here and we want to go out for everybody, we make sure that that stays stays good. Okay. What about property tax? Do you mean property tax when you die, inheritance tax? No, 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 no. No, no. Property tax for, for the land and the homes. 
Okay. There isn't prop in the same way. We pay council tax. I suppose it's slightly the same. So we pay tax to, depending on the size of your flat, to the local council. I guess that's the nearest property tax. And the property tax for my flat, because you get a reduction if you live alone in this country. So I think my annual tax to the local council, which covers things like the roads and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, right, that's what property. we're talking about. It's yeah. the same thing. We call it council tax here. Oh. I think mine is about £900 a year. Oh, very nice. Very reasonable, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, one bedroom flats are about, it's not exactly divided equally, but I think they're about 600. And I think the three bedrooms probably pay about 1200. It is rated and more, but because you live singly, you get 25% reduction as a single person living in an apartment. Great. So you could own a three bedroom, but be a single person living and they will tax you with that discount. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Here comes the big question, Jude. So, I love this place. I love how you've come up with the rules. It seems very reasonable. It seems like you care about people. And I love that you pick the people there because I know some pe- so many people who, as Gil said, live in co-ops around here and they're on the co-op board and they can't stand so many people in the building or other people <laughs> in the co-op. So it makes it great that you can you can choose people as long as you're reasonable with the people you pick and you, not, you don't discriminate. But here comes the big question. Why only women? People do that ask that all the time. And you know, there's a lovely woman who was here yesterday, a young a young writer, and she's writing a book. She's commissioned for uh, to do a book that will come out next year about women's communities around the world. And she told me about some communities I'd never heard of. I thought we were quite groundbreaking here. But the first all-women's community was 40,000 years ago in Australia. And oh they goodness. found that, no, not 40,000, 400. Oh, I don't know. But it was a very long time ago. It was big numbers, you know, really big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And they found beautiful cave drawings, you know, just women. And then this woman told me about, she's Indian, this woman. And her great grandmother lived in a small village in India. And that village, all the women and children lived together and men lived away from the women. That had been like that in that village for many, many years. And it was the norm. Women and children lived together. Men came and stayed. In fact, she's going to India to try and find if there's any survivors of that village. Her, her great-grandmother's long dead. But it went on for a while after that. And her and her mother are going to investigate. So this woman has been looking at women's communities around the world. So it's not that unusual. And for your question, why in this community? I think the women who started this. And I know Shirley Meredith, who is the founder, the main founder, she and her her husband, her ex-husband, he was also a social activist. And she decided a long time ago that this is what she wanted to live with women when she got older. She did live here for seven, six years. She died last year. So she did have her dream for six years, which was wonderful. But she was an amazing woman. But she used to say to us, because we said, the younger woman, we said, well, why? You know, why? Because we always get asked this question. Why did you decide this, Shirley? And she said, well, you might not understand. She said, but I come from a generation where men were used to being in charge. And she said, I am divorced now. I mean, she had she still knew her husband, all that, but she was divorced. She said, I am not living my life in my later years being done to or told to. I am going to live exactly <laughs> as I want to. Oh. And, that was, and that was her thing. And, I love it. And I, 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 lovely. And I suppose at different times of your life, you want different things. And you, you know, I mean, when you're younger, if you decide you want children, you, you know, you have a partner and you, your career and your work and things change. And I never thought for a moment I would live, I never thought about it. Will I live in an all women's community when I hit my 60s, 70s? When I told my brother, my 
my daughter, my granddaughter got it um, eventually. But when I said I was selling the family home, what do you mean? I mean, they didn't even live there. But what do you mean? Where are you going? I'm just going, up, I'm just going up the road. What road? You know, where? And I told my brother, well, my brothers live in Toronto, by the way. I told one of my brothers, he said, oh, you're going to live with a bunch of women. Why? <laughs> And I didn't have an answer for him. I, I just, because it feels right. You know, I, I, I met these women. I like them. It feels right. And I haven't changed my mind that since I moved in. But my brothers have been here to visit and they get it. You know, they get yeah. it. I think as men are all jealous, that's all. Yeah. All right, well, let me ask you, Jim. <laughs> if a lovely gentleman comes across your life yeah. and you decide, <laughs> I guess you'll have to say bye-bye to Newground. No, I wouldn't. I don't think so. I mean, I could do. One of my neighbors has a lovely relationship. And I often say, if I wanted to be in a relationship at this point in my life, I don't think I'd want to live with somebody full time. Okay. I, it would be lovely. I would like to have, you know, a, a, a good relationship. And you had somebody to share a lot of life's great things with. Sure, because I think sure. the older you get, the more you enjoy life because you realize there's a yeah. limit to it. Very yeah. sweet, you know. And if I was with somebody, yeah. And it would be lovely to have somebody to go on holidays. And he could come here for, you know, and stay here. He couldn't live here. He couldn't, he couldn't have his name on a lease. But he could be here with me from time to time, okay. which would be ideal. I wouldn't have to then, we wouldn't have to compromise too much. So you just get a nice bit. <laughs> right. or, or you could just spend more time at his place. Right. Oh, yeah. the best of all worlds. Absolutely. No washing up, nothing, because it's all... <laughs> Maybe just a toothbrush. You know? so funny. And The Guardian called Newground a feminist utopia. Do you agree oh with my that? God. <laughs> no. I mean, utopia. I mean, I think, you know, if there's a heaven, that might... No. I think, you see, the, the, the journalist who did... It was a lovely article. Anita, the woman who wrote it. In fact, The Guardian are going to do a film about it soon, a documentary. They're coming wow. to do a documentary. Nice. And Anita, when she was here, she got us, you know, and she wrote an article. But even even as a journalist, she has no, you know, they will put a tagline on anything. Yeah, yeah. And some copywriter was sitting there thinking, oh, I know, you know, no men, what are they like? <laughs> All the usual stuff. And you have, you have no control over that. And some people got really upset by it. But you just think, you know what? It doesn't matter. If it meant um, publicity, for enough for us, we don't need publicity. We're sorted. But we are committed to spreading the word for other people. And in that way, it worked. Sure. And, you know, there's so many things that have come out of that article. I met you. Yesterday, I, I had a meeting with French television and oh. Italian television. And we have just won a UN World Habitat Award. Wow. Yeah, we've got a bronze. It was announced about two weeks ago. I mean, we knew about it for about eight months that we had it. And I didn't think we'd stand a chance. I think we were invited to put forward. But, you know, there's so many in this particular, if you go onto the World Habitat Award site. There's a whole page on us. But the kind of people that are awarded are, you know, it's worldwide. It's really uh, worthy causes that need money. We got a bronze. There's no money attached to that. But we need recognition for what we did. But there's so many worthy causes. I didn't think we'd stand a chance. It was a huge application. And on the 22nd of February, there is a Zoom thing where the winners speak about their thing and it's worldwide. And I'll be speaking on behalf of Newground at that. So I will say we have had so much recognition and we've got people wanting to join us all the time. We now run workshops on and the title of our workshops is We Did It, You Can Too. Oh, and, oh wow. Uh, I mean, it's very hard because you have to get funding, you have to get through planning. I mean, it's not for the faint heart. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. But if 26 women can make this work and seven years on, the lived experience is positive, mm -hmm. I think it's a no-brainer. Yes, absolutely. What are the ages of the women at the new ground? We range from 57 
and that's the youngest woman here. And the oldest woman is 95. Wow. And I have to tell you that the 95-year-old woman still does exercises every morning and she still works. She's an editor and she works. (laughs) Wow. She she is inspirational. Absolutely. And the woman I told you about um, who swims all those lengths every morning is 91. They are inspirational. Oh, my Lord. That is wonderful. And this is what keeps them going. I think during COVID, which was so hard for so many people, it was a really hard time. We are so fortunate. I used to feel guilty, actually, because I I know that so many people I know and and friends of my daughter were trying to educate their kids at home, might not have an outside space. They were still trying to work. It was a nightmare, apart from the loss of so many people. I mean, the actual living experience of COVID. And we here, we had all the outside space. We could meet each other socially just for coffee or a glass of wine. Uh-huh. And we could order in bulk in here. It was like a market garden in a communal room. <laughs> once. We had things delivered in. We had film night in our big communal room, socially distanced. And we did lots of Zoom stuff together. We had a writing group and a book group. And it was okay. I mean, some people got COVID. Every day we sanitized the, the communal areas. We worked in a group where all the doors and the handles were sanitized. Wow. Everything was done. And nobody got serious COVID, you know, in a group of oh. older people, not one person. Yeah. You touched upon the area. What are the quote unquote amenities in the communal area? You mentioned exercise. So give us that list. Okay. We have one large room that we use for communal meals. There's a kitchen offered and a, and an office space offered. And we use that for communal, we use it for meetings. We have a yoga group there. And once a week, a yoga teacher comes in. We've had Tai Chi. We're in the process of having a Pilates teacher. We have an art class there. Our teacher comes in once a fortnight and we have art things. If you want to, you know, everybody, because mm-hmm. some people still work. They don't, right, you know, have right. time. Yeah. Not all the older women are like the two women I <laughs> told you. They're yeah. human and there's things happening. Yeah. And we've got women now who has dementia, quite advanced Uh, dementia. We don't look after each other, but we look out for each other. So working with her family, she can still be here. Somebody comes in, a carer comes in during the day. But if she was living alone, she'd have to leave her home now, but she doesn't have to. And that's wonderful for that. So we can include that and and hold that situation for her and her family. So the amenities, you know, she's around. We've also had people come in and talk to us about dementia and, and how to deal with it. At mm. Because you know, I'm sure you know, the law of averages, she, she won't be the only woman who, who ends up with, you know, memory problems, loss of stuff. Right. So we've had dementia training as well as consensus training. We're trying to ensure and cover all the options. I'm sure we left <laughs> something out. <laughs> no, <laughs> so no, no, that's great. So um, who does the cooking, the three meals a day, so to speak? We don't do communal cooking. Okay. I cook for myself or my friends or but we do one communal meal every two weeks and two or three people will sign up and do that. They're uh, fed food and then another couple of them will tidy up afterwards. So it's a quite a loose arrangement, but every every couple of weeks we'll have a meal. Once a month we have a big meeting, a business meeting which we had this morning, and then we'll have a potluck meal together after that. Oh, very nice. So we don't um overdo that thing. I mean it takes a lot of organizing. I know that lots of other, other co-housing, especially intergenerational younger children, it works for them to maybe eat three or four times a week because it cuts down on people having to do too much. Mm-hmm. But here we don't do that. Okay. So in terms of the person you mentioned with dementia or someone comes down with a serious health issue, is the nearest medical facility? Yeah, we've got the hospital. There's a hospital literally a 10 minute drive from here. 
Oh, I fell just before Christmas and damaged my uh, shoulder. I have a smashed shoulder and uh, I'm waiting for a full shoulder replacement. Okay. Any day now is going to happen. Oh, it happens good because I'm planning to go to Canada for the summer. But <laughs> anyway, I have a physio who comes here now to me every other week. So it keeps everything else moving while I'm waiting for this to happen. In terms of care for each other, we had a group of French academics come here about a year and a half ago. And a few of those lived in different co-housing places around France. And we were talking about if somebody gets ill, how does a community cope with that? And how does a community cope when first person dies, for example? They're all relevant things. That yes, that was over. my next question. And so we talked about this kind of, and then one woman just shortly after that had a, a serious fall and everybody was trying to help and it was too much. So what we have now is what we call it's a bit like theatre, you know, when you've got the three circles of her. Uh, we've got three circles now. So at the centre of any circle is, you know, the person who needs support. And then she will have a couple of health buddies. For example, you know, I have two health buddies here. So if I became seriously ill tomorrow, these would be the ones who would help. They wouldn't look after me in a personal way, but they would be people I would say what I wanted or whatever. So you won't have everybody knocking at my door. Are you okay? When are you having the operation due, you know, off your shoulder? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All that kind of stuff. So you've got two people you feed back to and they in turn let everybody else know. Okay. Now, if you're seriously ill, we had, we did have somebody who, who was very seriously ill. So those two women who liaise with the rest of us, you know, in terms of can you do shopping for her? Can you help with some cleaning or something? Mm -hmm. And then. Always around that is the family. And then the outer circle is the professional. So the inner circle will liaise with the professionals about what's happening and the professionals will liaise with them. Okay. And then they will okay. li liaise with the family. So it, it's wow. kind of it's a multi layered you know, support system. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that works. Because the thing is, if you're feeling, you know, if you're ill, it's lovely that people care, but you don't want to be explaining to everybody every minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, right. and we found that. You'll or, get or too many people fussing. <laughs> yeah. If, for example, you know, well, you need something, the inner circle will liaise with somebody else in, oh, you know, can you sort out a road to those two get something to eat every day while she's sure. recuperating? Sure. Um, so you don't have 25 people come with the same dish to you, you know, and you feel like fed up in after a week, yeah. you know, or something. It's all worked out. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. But the healthcare in the area is sufficient, as you mentioned. There's a hospital within 10 minute drive. We, we have huge problems with our NHS system. I, I mean, I, I know in America it's even worse, but we have a declining national health here. And if you're very, very ill, it usually works. It doesn't work for little right. things. So people end up dealing with it actually themselves. Getting a doctor's appointment here. Our main surgery is about 10 minutes away. I'm getting an appointment unless you're really ill. It can take a month. Oh, wow. But people deal with it. And we do have a woman here who was a GP. I mean, we wouldn't go to her, but you know, there's, and there's a woman who was a nurse. So there's people around you can say, do you think I need to go to the hospital? Do you think I need to take two paracetamol you know, and get <laughs> yes. a light? Yeah. Sure. Th there's that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this episode is less about the location than it is about co-housing. But I was just wondering in yeah. terms of where you are, is it a walkable area? Is it yeah, um, absolutely. to city center, let's say? Well, to our little center here. Your, yeah. Yes, to yours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's literally five minutes to oh. the local shop. We're on a, a road. It's a one-way street and it has a conservation order on the street. So it's a nice street. And where we are, it used to be a, a school. This was a school and we bought the land. In fact, it was a convent school. The French Sisters of Charity owned oh. this. <laughs> Okay. I know, so we have ended up living in a convent. <laughs> oh, that's so, that's so very funny. interesting. Very interesting. Because so my granddaughter went to the senior school where this land is that we bought was the junior school of St. Martha's. 
And my granddaughter went to the senior school, which is about 10 minutes from here. When we were looking at it, I didn't know. And when we moved in, her old headmistress, who has since died, all the nuns came here for the first day. And it was completely different. I mean, it had been rebuilt and it had been lots of, you know, little, there had been little church and there'd been little porter cabins and classrooms and the convent house. I remember my granddaughter's headmistress, a, a nun called Sister Teresa. She just cried. She just said, I can't believe this is so beautiful. This is so amazing. And she said, we were always cold here. She said it was always freezing. And she said, and to think that there's women living here again, forward-thinking women living here on our land, I'm just so happy. <laughs> wow. I can't believe she cool. said that. That's it great. Is very, yeah, I love now, that. In terms of healthcare also, I'm just curious, do a lot of people around London, do they have private healthcare? Do they, the people with the means, do they purchase private healthcare? Some people do. It's very expensive. Mostly it's, it can be connected to your work. And then, of course, when you stop working, you lose your health care. And some people will not pay for health care, not because they don't want to pay for it, because they think it's not socially acceptable to do that. People do have private health care. Of course they do. Or people decide rather than pay health care, they know they will pay for things, whether it's the dentist. They make choices about how they spend the money. For example, when I when I gave up work, I had a private health care. And then when I went to go take it up myself, it was so hugely expensive. I choose not to. If something happens, I can afford. If something serious happens, the NHS will look after me and that's that. But people, yes, of course, they do have private health care. I have no idea what the percentage is. I don't think anybody here has private health care. But I also know that some people, if they need it, say, you know, if you need something like a replacement, you know, a hip or something, and there's a huge waiting list, then they make choices about what they do then, whether they pay for health care. I mean, when I, for example, when I went to look at what it might be, this is just for me, and I had no preconditions. When I left work, it was going to cost about £500 a month. And that for here is hugely expensive. I don't know. Wow. I know it's yeah. slightly different where you are. No, that's think, a lot. But it's a lot for here. Yes. So lots of people then as they get older, um, if they get for work, I don't think they do. But I, I, I don't have any statistics. I'm not aware of, of how that is. But right. it's not the norm to have it. Well, that would be a huge okay. monthly expense. Okay. Absolutely. Just, Especially yeah. if you have a fixed income. As, sure, as of course. Mostly do when they, right. when they finish. Are there parking spots at Newground? Do you have parking lots? Yeah, we do. Not everybody drives. We have a parking lot. I think there's a parking for eight cars plus two visitor spaces and that works. But, you know, we, we give each other lifts. We thought about car sharing, but that didn't really work. But if I'm not doing something, and not just me, other people who are car drivers will give people lifts to uh-huh. hospital appointments or down to the tube or whatever. Yeah, we, we we help each other out cars. So you mentioned that the walking distance to the nearest station or the tube is very close. What is very close again? How many minutes uh, or length? Well, I suppose it depends how quick you walk, but there's actually a bus right from outside right down to the station uh-huh. if you choose to get oh. it. <laughs> and in the UK, once you're over 60, you have free travel so we don't don't pay for my travel I can get in the bus outside by Tuesday to get to the tube station and be in the west end in 45 minutes to see something very nice Um, very nice so that's one of the advantages of getting older yes um but if you were to walk down to the tube station, I think it takes 10 minutes. Okay. It's downhill and it's uphill. Oh. <laughs> I know. So, so crumbling bones, it's not good for crumbling bones. <laughs> <laughs> and where is the nearest international airport? The nearest, well, we've got Stansted is about, I'm trying to think because my daughter often drops me there. It's about a 45 minute drive from here. If I want to go to Heathrow, which I would do if I was going to Canada, right. I go on the Piccadilly line, which is about 15 minutes from here. It's an hour and 10 minutes on the train straight from door to door. So yeah, I mean, we've got uh, Luton. Gatwick is the most difficult one to get to. 
in terms of time. We're well served for public transport and airport. All right. So from the U.S., we would fly into Heathrow and then you, go local. I mean, if you were coming, if you were coming up to where, where we live, you would jump in the Piccadilly line, and it, it's a fight. It's the last stop of the line to get oh, here. Oh, it is. Oh, nice. Yeah. But when you're going somewhere, it's the start of the line. You always get a seat. Right. Is that where all the restaurants are as well? By the tube, is that like the center? Oh, no, of on the high street. I mean. There actually aren't any restaurants down by, there's a couple of restaurants by the tube, but right out in the high street, literally four minutes from me, there's a wonderful Indian street food restaurant. There's two Italians. Oh, there's loads. I mean, there's so many. And then there's little coffee shops and there are, there's bakeries, there's uh, Waitrose, which is um, a big supermarket. And there's lots of nail shops. Nail? Nail shops. They're, oh, they're salon. The yeah, salon. Oh, okay. Lots of oh. nail shops everywhere. <laughs> we have lots of nail shops here, too. Oh, my goodness. We have more yeah. nail shops than anything else. And pubs. We have a lot of pubs, too. <laughs> oh, we Yeah, we've got pubs. It's mostly nail, nail shops and pubs. Right, so <laughs> I'm a fan of nail like, shops. Yeah. Sorry? No, I'm a fan of nail shops. What do yeah, they charge too. by you? Let me, I'm curious. Um, Right, the one across, this little one across the road my daughter goes and we both go to, um, I think nail shops will be like Kafka's cockroach. They'll be here after the rest of us are gone. <laughs> That's a good one. Yes, That's a good one. It's true. But, um, I think it is true. I think a manicure is about £15 and for petty it's about £30. A separate charge for petty or is there a petty manny? Or Manny, Petty, Petty. Manny, I think it's about thirty-five, forty pound. I think a Manny is about twelve, forty. In this, in this particular one, I think the normal price for Manny Petty. It depends if you have shellac or if you just have plain. Of course, <laughs> of course. I think it's about forty-five pound for both. Anything between thirty-five okay. and forty-five. Yeah. Is that more in New Pago? Uh, yes, it's more. But but where we are in the city of New York, depending on which borough, of course, that falls in to the range. Where we are in Brooklyn, New York, and in a specific area in Brooklyn, New York, I pay much less. I would say together, mine would be 35 to $40. Manny Penny. Five dollars. Oh, it's dollars, um, yeah. Yeah, depending on where you go. But my sisters who live in a whole different state, easily, it's double, more yeah. than double. So yeah. it's amazing. Really? Um, to me, depending on where you go, you know, it's yeah. supply and demand, I suppose. I guess, but they're always, the salons around here are always full. Yeah, but I know, right? When I'm in Canada, it's much more expensive than here. Mm, see. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like it's, I'm always amazed. My 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 sister in law said, Let's let's go and have a pedi. And she says, This place, it's such good value. And I go in it's like twice as much what I pay. And I said, This is I not know. good value. I know. not even as nice, you know. <laughs> yeah, we take it for granted. I mean, it's so competitive also where we are. There's a new one every other month and I just keep going to the nicest one and I still yeah. pay the same price and same for yeah. haircuts. But yeah. when when we move, I know I'll be facing double the amount. So there goes those little But everything else will perks. be less expensive. Yeah. Okay. 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 So, well, now, now we've sorted out the international costs <laughs> of man <Manchester laughs> yeah. Which is very important. It's important. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I don't know about like, that. <laughs> what have we left out, if anything, that you would like to share? I don't think anything. I think we've we've had a lovely kind of very loose chat about many things. I'm sure you edited down for what your audience <laughs> needs and and likes. If I wanted to get a message across to to anybody, yes. is yes, you can do it. Choose what you want to do and don't leave it too late. Because mm-hmm. you need energy as well. You know, yeah. choose it and find the right people to do it with. I think that yeah. is the biggest key. Yeah, I just have a question. This is a personal question from Gil and I, and that is, we are thinking about. We've thought a lot about where we're going to move. That's how we started the show. And we're probably going to buy a place somewhere else in the United States. 
and probably two or three months a year, we'll go to one place overseas. And Gil loves printmaking, and there are a lot of printmakers in London. So in your area, what do you think it would cost per month? First of all, would they rent for three months if we stayed um, for three months? You know what? It's a really good thing. I mean, I used to do this when my, kids, when, when my daughter was young, and uh, my sister and I used to do it. My sister lives in Copenhagen, and we used to do this when the kids were young. And we used to do house swaps. And I think that's the way to do it. So if you live in an area that's, you know, say if you say, I want to go to, to London or I want to go to Paris, there are some very good house swaps. And if you're willing to let somebody live in your house, and at different times when, when, when our kids were younger, we always made sure we stayed in a house that had kids. So there'll be toys there. And when you're older, I mean, I wouldn't want a load of kids. I've got nice things in my house now. I mean, when you're a kid, they all live up there. So you look up at them. And then as you get older, the stuff comes back down where you can actually enjoy it. I wouldn't I wouldn't want a load of kids running around my house. Even my grandkids are growing up, you know. So you look for, so, so that's a good way to do it. It's a cheap way because then you don't pay anything. I have gone to places where I've swapped maybe just for three or four weeks. I remember having this wonderful swap down in the Gulf of Mexico and we swapped cars as well. So there's something, there's, there's a, the one I used to use here in the UK was called Home Swap. You, you pay something like £15, £20 a year to your members. And then and you do have to trust because people used to say to me, you know, oh my God, you're just letting somebody live in your house. And I said, yeah, but they're letting me live in my house. I think Airbnb has probably changed that a bit, but I think you can still find the right companies where you can swap. If, if you're prepared to swap. Right. I have never come undone swapping. I mean, it's been fine. But if you are going to rent, I mean, it's expensive in the UK. If you are renting a place for three months, I don't know, because it's short rents. I think, you, could, you know, you could pay something like, I don't know, you could, you could be paying thousands of pounds a month. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, oh, I did forget. And this I should have asked earlier. What are in your area the amenities like electricity and gas? And what is that per month? Right. I'm trying to think what my latest bill was. I think because all the gas things have gone to the roof. Uh, yeah. I think currently, and I mean, I should be more conscious. I mean, my yeah. flat is, it's a good size, you know, uh, two bedroom flat. In fact, my second bedroom is, I've, I've made it into part of the living room and turned it into a study rather than a bedroom. Oh. I think it's about £110 a month okay. for, for gas okay. and electricity. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And our flats are well insulated and it's underfloor heating. So it's lovely. It's very cozy. I like um, the underground heating. Yeah. I never have the heating on my bedroom, for example, because I don't like heating mm-hmm. in the bedroom. I like it cool. So, but I, I think about on average £110 a okay. month. I paid okay. on standing order. I haven't a clue what it works out, in, you know, in terms sure, of summer. Sure. And, um, no, no, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we did cover everything. I think <laughs> with so. That last one. But I'm glad, we, I'm glad we did. We totally appreciate the yeah. time. Yeah, we really appreciate you. And you're our first okay. co-housing show, and we will likely have <laughs> others to come. And sort of the first UK show, too. Yeah. I mean, I have a close <laughs> girlfriend. She said, I have a morbid question. And if both our spouses were to pass, should we move in together in the future. That's Nancy Kirsch. Yeah, but and, that's what people uh, say. Yeah. And I said, yeah, hey, I'm up for it. Sounds wonderful. Watch your back. Watch your back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. Oh, I have cameras all over you. Don't worry oh. about it. <laughs> but the problem is you don't know how to turn them off. So. Oh. All right, Jude. Okay, lovely we'll to be talk in touch. to you both. Okay. Thank you so much. You're wonderful. Okay. Thank Pleasure. You. Okay, Take bye. Care. Bye-bye. 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 We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com 
And you may follow us on Twitter at RetireThere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. Be well.